attention, please. You are wondering what today's lesson will be about. Today's lesson is going to be about emotions. Now, we all start with a primary set, and as we grow older, we acquire more of them. When your emotions control your action, it affects not only yourself, but the people around you. This will help. Sit down. Emotions are centered in the lower part of the brain. It is complicated, yes, but mysterious no longer. Emotional behavior is largely involuntary. <laughs> I can't believe that. We have certain basic emotions which are controlled subconsciously. Notice your own emotional reactions. What did you feel? What did you do? Under control, your emotions can make you healthier and happier and improve the lives of people around you. This is pretty clever. That's a rather simplified suggestion of a complex mental process, but you get the idea. I guess it was uh, pretty arrogant of me to think that we could talk about the gamut of human emotion in three weeks. Um, today, today's going to be a little heavy. Um, we're going to talk, we're going to, there's going to be a lot of scripture today. Um, but I'm just going to tell you where I'm at this morning. I'm convinced that the body of Christ has struggled with anxiety and depression and sadness and weariness of mind and worry for too long. What if God had a better way? And what if God supernaturally were to breathe health into our emotions this morning? What if God were to intervene in our struggle and in our dark places? What if? I happen to believe that's His beautiful plan. Yeah. Romans 12 and 1 and 2, we've read it every week, I'll read it today. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all He has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind He will find acceptable this is truly the way to worship Him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Please get this part. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you'll learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Oftentimes when I talk about a topic, I'll have you raise your hands if you've dealt with that topic. And I'm not going to do that today. But I would venture to guess that many if not all of us in this room have dealt with those moments of extreme sadness despair and in a dark depressive place it was already an epidemic and then 2020 happened listen to me do you know calls to the national mental health hotline went up 900 percent during 2020 Divorce filings went up 26% in 2020. 25% of young adults during 2020 contemplated suicide, according to the CDC. And 10% of all Americans. Listen to me. Depression is real. Mental illness is real. One out of every nine people in our country are on some kind of depression medication. One out of every five people in our country have been at one time or another. Since 2020, antidepressant use has gone up 300% and it continues to increase. Depression is now the number one health problem in the world. More than diabetes, more than heart disease, it's the number one health problem in the world. Now, now listen, um, I'm, I'm not going to be that pastor that's going to stand up here and say, um, man, if you're depressed, we just need to get you to come up here and let me cast the devil out of you. Don't laugh. There, listen, there are very real biological contributions to depression and anxiety. But 
He knew there was a but coming. <laughs> if we allow the biology to become the whole picture, you're going to miss the real solution. So my question, when, when folks deal with very real depression, is it biological? Is it environmental? Is it social? Is it spiritual? The answer is yes. The answer is yes. If you'll remember way back in week one, I told you that God had created us in His image. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You are spirit, soul, and body. And what happens in one affects the others. It's just true. I'd like you to, if you're a note taker in the room, I'd like you to write this down. Depression isn't just a disease, it's an indicator. Now listen, it's a diagnosable disease. In, in the diagnostic and symptomatic manual that your doctor uses, it's 300.4, persistent depressive disorder. It's a real thing. But here's the problem, y'all. If all we do is medicate the symptom without finding the source of the problem, we're not helping anyone. If you're expecting medicine to make your problems go away, you'll be incredibly disappointed. In fact, the drug companies themselves have proven it. Have you seen the commercial? If your anti-depression medication isn't working, add this supplement to it. Have you seen it? I told you I was diabetic. If all I do is take a pill and make no lifestyle changes, what am I really accomplishing? Exactly. Long before there was medication, here's what the psalmist said. The Lord hears His people when they call to Him for help. He rescues them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. And you guys know me. You know I don't just get up here and spout off some religious, biblical platitudes just to make you feel better. What I'm going to share with you this morning is, is the truth, and it's the gospel. There is good news. <laughs> and, and to help, I'm going to talk to you about one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Because I like it when God just shows off. In 1 Kings chapter 18, you don't have to flip over there. I'm not going to, I'm not going to put it all up there. You just, if you want to read it for yourself later, go ahead. But it happens just like this. Elijah is in a contest. See, Elijah is a prophet of God, and the world had gone crazy. And people had forsaken God and had worshipped a God named Baal or a God named Asherah. And there were nine, and, and, and Elijah challenged these false prophets to a duel. Makes you think of an old spaghetti western, right? Elijah stood by himself and 900 prophets on the other side. And, and the challenge was, let's, let's put our sacrifice on the altar and the God that answers by fire is the real God. And he, he challenged them. And he said, if your God is God, then serve them. we'll serve Him. But if the Lord is God, let's serve Him. And so if you read this story, the story, he, he said, you guys go first. There's more of you than, I, than me. You guys go first. And so they put the, the sacrifice on the altar, and they prayed, and they danced, and they cut themselves, and expected a dead, non-existent God to hear their prayers, and he obviously didn't. There, there was no fire, and Elijah began to get sarcastic and mock them. Where's he at? Where's your God? Maybe he's in the bathroom. It's in the Bible. Read it. And then when they were done dancing their dance, Elijah took, rebuilt the altar of God. He put a sacrifice on it. And he said, cover it with water. He built a trench around the altar and said, fill it with water. 
do it again, do it again, do it again. And he called on the name of Jehovah God. And God answered by fire. Consumed it all. And then there was a slaughter. There was. It's in the Bible. It's not comfortable, but it's in the Bible. And all of those, all of those prophets died that day. What a spike the football in the end zone moment for Elijah. Right? I mean, what a moment. Wouldn't you think that after a spiritual victory like that, he would be so full of the presence and power of God that nothing by any means could conquer him? That wasn't the case. If you flip your Bible just one page, here's what happens. When King Ahab got home, this is 1 Kings 19, first four, first four verses. When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. Jezebel sent the message to Elijah, sent this message to Elijah. You know, it was like, the, like a text message, Right? <laughs> Imagine getting this text message. May the gods, gods, little g, may the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. He just killed 900 prophets. And this woman, no offense, ladies. Listen to what happened in verse 3. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and, and he left his servant there. We're going to talk about that in a minute. And then he went on alone in the wilderness. We're going to talk about that in a minute too. Traveling all day, he sat down under a solitary broom tree, and he prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. Take my life, for I'm no better than any of my ancestors who've already died. Now, before we judge Elijah too terribly, have you ever sat under a broom tree like that? Not physically, but have you ever sat in a cold, dark room by yourself with the lights off? I'd just rather be dead. I'd just rather these problems went away. I'd just rather the thing that I have to deal with was just not here. See, I think we... Maybe you have a hard time relating to the Elijah that called down fire from heaven, but I bet you don't have a hard time relating to this Elijah that wanted to just not. So I want to talk to those of us who love someone or who ourselves have dealt with depression. Um, there's some things that I think trigger it. And I can't talk about all of them today. But I'm going to talk to you about three of them. And I, by no means do I think that these are the most important, that these are the most comprehensive triggers there are for, for depressive uh, you know, episodes. That's not what I'm saying. But, but we're just going to talk about three of them today. Okay, the first one we're going to talk about is imbalance. Are we talking about chemical imbalance? Well, you know, that's the thing. But that's not the imbalance I'm talking about. There was an author that said, said it like this, we need to talk less about chemical imbalances and more about the imbalances in the way we live. Do you have balance in your life? See, Elijah's depression followed a major spiritual victory, but don't you think after calling down fire from heaven and killing 900 prophets, he'd probably be a little tired? When you are physically and mentally tired, you're never more susceptible to the attack of the enemy than in that moment. Yeah. And more and more research. Listen, I understand there is biology involved, okay? So don't send me ugly emails about I don't understand the biology because I do. In fact, I, I understand it pretty well, actually. So I'm not telling you that I don't believe that there's biology involved because there is. But I believe we add to the effects of our biology by our lifestyle. More and more research is talking about how the depression 
is enhanced and deepened by our lifestyles. There, there's a guy by the name of Stephen Illardi, and he wrote this book. It's a secular book, but he's on point. It's called The Depression Cure. And here's what it says. Now, please listen to this. I wish I had put it up on the screen, but I didn't. We were never designed for the sedentary, indoor, socially isolated, fast food laden, sleep deprived, frenzied pace of modern life. You're not designed for that. And even though this, this guy's a genius and he's, God told us this thousands of years ago. The book of Ecclesiastes, look at this. Ecclesiastes 4 and 6 says, Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. Listen to me, y'all. Our culture has challenged us to chase the wind and to spin our wheels and go and go and go and go until we just can't go any longer there's no balance there y'all there's no balance there i have i have friends frankly most of them male that will brag about working 80 90 hours a week or brag about oh i hadn't had an off day in three months you're chasing the wind I'm a workaholic. I'm sorry. You know, because of what I do for a living, I, I have the opportunity to be in a room from time to time with somebody that's leaving this world and heading for another. You know what nobody says? I wish I would have worked more. You know what everybody says? Man, this life went by quickly. If you're here and you're out of balance and your life is spinning out of control, don't wonder why you, you deal with depression. It's a trigger. Number two. L listen, before she pops it up there, I just got to tell you, I'm going to apologize in advance for this, um, but I, I'm, I'm just going to have to give this to you the way I, I, the way I believe the Lord would have me give it to you. The second trigger is unhealthy comparisons. Listen, if, if you, somebody you love, struggle with depression or depressive moments or deep sadness, the best thing you could do is turn every bit of social media you have off. Listen, Elijah did it. He said, for I'm no better than my ancestors who have already died. He's comparing him to people that are already dead. Comparing himself. But see, I think the challenge is we've got we to gotta work on bi-directional comparison. Because I, I, I think we, we compare ourselves to those that we think are above us. Because here's what you'll do. You'll get on social media or you'll have a conversation around the lunch table over chips and salsa or around a coffee table or wherever. And someone will talk to you about how great their life is and how much money they're making and how well behaved their children are. And they'll give you their highlight reel and you'll compare it to your real life. Or worse off, you'll see a post on Instagram or Facebook that has been it'll be one picture but what you don't know is it took them 19 times to take that picture and they've tried 17 different filters before they put it up there and you'll see it and you'll go oh i wish my life was like theirs let me tell you what's happening right now to your children research has shown that social media is changing their brain well it's it's harmless. Is it? Is it? Then why are 10-year-olds getting on anti-depression and anti-anxiety medication? We compare our real life with 
ESPN's top 10. It's not how it works. But, you know, there's this upward comparison. And listen, there's also a downward comparison. We'll think. Their sin is much worse than my sin. We'll look down some religious, dogmatic, judgmental nose at people who are struggling and think, I'm so glad I'm not as bad off as they are. L listen to me. That is a one-way ticket to pride, arrogance, and loneliness. Because you do that too long, and you'll look around, and the people you thought loved you will be gone. Because they're not going to stick around for that. Is that too hard? It just happens to be true. And if you're a blood-bought, redeemed child of God, how dare you look down your nose at anybody's sin? For all have sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. That, that, that ground at Calvary is level. Comparison, imbalance. Here's the third trigger. Isolation. L listen, listen to what, what happened to Elijah. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. And then he went on alone into the wilderness. Some of you guys are, are deer hunters. How smart is it to go off alone into unfamiliar, unfamiliar wilderness? I know you do it. I've been with you. But it's, doesn't, yeah, that's true. If I'm with you, you're not alone. So 2020 hit. If you'll remember, it's been three years ago almost this week. When NBA shut down and, and Major League Baseball shut down and NFL shut down and they started using this term social distancing, which is an awful term. If there was ever a time when we needed each other, it was then. Isolation. Isolation. See, what happens when we're in isolation is the enemy. And I don't know how this happens. And I'm going to forgive to our online audience. It, it's like this. Voice gets louder. Just, that's just how it is. When we choose to crawl off by ourselves because we just don't want to do people today. I've said this 10,000 times from this pulpit. That's a slight exaggeration. I need you. You need me. We need each other. We are better together. The Apostle Paul said it this way. So it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. I need you. You need me. We need each other. We are better together. Listen, and, and here's, how the enemy, here's how the enemy works in isolation. He'll convince you that you're better by yourself. That if, if, you, if you deal with people in the middle of your dark place, it's, it's just going to make it worse. You don't want to have to tell your stuff. You don't want to have to have those conversations. I get it. They're all uncomfortable. book of James says, when we confess our stuff to each other, we're healed. We need each other. And so listen to me, and, and I know that this is going to require, um, if you are now 
have ever been or in some future moment find yourself in the dark place. Listen to me. Please hear me. Fight the urge to isolate yourself. Get with somebody who loves you, who won't judge you, and by, by, who knows how to pray. Find that guy. Find that girl who loves you, ju- won't judge you, and knows how to pray. All right. In a couple minutes we got left. Those are the triggers. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to you about steps toward healing. Anybody... Do you know that you know, we said this 10,000 times over? I guess that's my word, my number for today is 10,000. During our marriage conference, that God's way works. He has a way. Do you think that, that, that we get to 2023 and God says, I didn't realize people were going to be struggling with anxiety and depression? Do you think that? Yeah. Of course not. But He has a plan and He understands. Look what happened to Elijah. So let's pick up in verse 5. Uh, as we unpack these steps toward healing. So he's under the broom tree, says he wants to die. The Bible says, Then he lay down under the, br- the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time, touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up, ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days, 40 nights, until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. So the first, the first step. And listen, again, this is not all of them, but I'm going to give you a couple today, okay? I call it soul care. We hear a lot about self-care. Let's call it soul care. What did the angel tell him to do? Get up and eat. But you know what he let him do first? Sleep a little while. So this soul care might involve physical care. Listen, if, if what I said in week one is true, that our mind and our soul and our spirit is affected by our physical person, then can diet and rest and exercise. And oh, by the way, going outside, can that help deal with your depression? Absolutely. Absolutely. If, we're, if you're physically unhealthy and you're tired and you're... And you spend all your time staring at a screen. Get up and eat. Go rest. Go outside. So it might be physical care. It might be mental care. Listen, some of you need to shut out the negative. (laughs) I'm going to say this very gently. Because you guys know me, we are supposed to go into all the world and preach and teach the gospel and make disciples. You with me? I, and I will, I will say that to my dying day. That's our, that's our mission. That's our mandate. But you might have somebody in your life that it's impossible for you to influence with the gospel because they're dragging you down day after day after day after day after day. Somebody else needs to disciple them because they're undiscipling you. Is that a word? It is now, right? They're de-discipling you, counter-discipling you. <laughs> Shut out the negative. And sometimes the negative we need to sometimes the negative we need to shut out is coming out of your own mouth. Yeah. Elijah did it, and we're still talking about Elijah. Elijah did it, and he was on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. And he said, oh, I'm no better than anybody else. I'm just, I just might as well die. Hmm. Um, I'm going to say this in the most theological, profound way I can. Stop it. Stop it. If you, if you say words about yourself that God wouldn't say. Listen, how, how, how about we do this? 
How about we, I'm, I'm going to sound like a, an, an old time preacher now. How about you get your, your face out of Facebook and your face off of TV, TV and you put your face in God's word, figure out what he said about you and your negative talk will change. What does God say about you? He said you're bought with a price. He said you're above only and never beneath. He said no weapon formed against you will prosper. He said he knit you together in your mother's womb. That he had a purpose and plan for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you. He said you could do all things through Christ who gives you strength. How about we start using words like that instead of, I just wish I was dead. Careful what you wish for. Because depression will kill you. Shut out the negative. <laughs> oh, I'm running out of time. Be intentional about your schedule. All right, listen. How many of you are um, just rigid with like your, your calendar and everything goes on your calendar? Anybody like that? Okay, me too. Me too. So no judgment. We're, we're doing it right. You can prioritize your life or somebody else will. I, I'll never forget, I, I was sitting in a, in, a, um, in a conference one time and it was a youth pastor's conference and, and it was just that time in my life where it was going crazy, fast, fast, crazy, crazy. And, you know, I'm working for God. You know, I gotta, I got, that means I got to work 120 hours a week. And I got, you know, I don't need to take a day off. And I, uh, my wife is fine. She's fine. She's fine. And I, I had this youth pastor mentor say, stop it, just like I said it to you. And he said, say no to that 6 o'clock meeting that can wait and go home and have dinner with your family. So I'm going to tell you, I know what that feels like, to feel pressure to succeed and feel pressure to get it done. If you don't build margin into your schedule, the enemy will suck it away. You'll go, it'll be the end of the year. Has this ever happened? It's, it's the end of your work day and you go, I, I got nothing done. I got nothing done. I, 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 my to-do list is longer at the end of the day than it was at the beginning of the day. That feels great. Listen, there's always another project. There's always another phone call. There's always another nail to drive. There's always another email to send. There's always... But listen, if you drop off the face of the earth, somebody else will do it. So hear me, if you don't take care of yourself, if you don't take care of your soul, nobody else will. Oh, okay, here we go. Let's go fast. So the first thing involves taking care of your soul. You with me? Number two, oh, please get this. Lean into God's presence. Never underestimate the power of an encounter with the Almighty God. Listen to what happened to Oh, you're going to hear yourself in this when I promise you. First Kings chapter 19, verse 9 says, Then he went into a cave and spent the night. Anybody ever spend the night in a cave? <laughs> Tossing and turning, worried, stressed, anxious. He went, the night, he went into a cave and spent the night, and the word of the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, I've been very zealous. He's, now he's justifying his own bad behavior. I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death and the, uh, with the sword. And I'm the only one left. We're going to come back to that. He said, I'm the only one left. He said, I'm the only one left. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out. Stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. What would you do? You go outside. Hey, listen, now, 
Now, the Pentecostals in the room are going to love this part. <laughs> then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. Woo! They had the peavies cranking. <laughs> but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake. Woo! Place is shaking today. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, and the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. God just might reveal himself in the fire and the wind, but he'll most likely reveal himself in a whisper. Do you know why? God's not into the noise, he's into the intimacy. That's why David said in the 46th Psalm, Be still and know that I am the Lord. Never, ever underestimate the significance of an encounter with God. So if you're struggling with depression, you're struggling with worry and anxiety and fear and all those things that go with it, find God. Pray. Come to church, even when you don't feel like it. You know what? You know what I consider healthy. When you look at me, eyeball to eyeball, and said, "I had no desire to come into this place today, but you're here. But you're here. I'll never forget. I I, I prayed like that. Oh, actually, I prayed that like that many times, but." The first time I got gutsy enough to pray like that to the Lord, I said, Lord, I know I'm supposed to be doing my devotion, but I don't feel it today. I'm, I'm here, and I don't feel it. I don't know that I even want to be here. And I heard the sweet, gentle Holy Spirit said, but you're here. So lean into the presence of the Lord. Number three, please get this. Let your designer... Not your disease, determine your identity. Listen, <laughs> I, I know depression is a dark, hairy animal, but that's not who you are. You're a child of God. He loves you more than you'll ever understand. And he's got a purpose and a plan for your life. You mean, Dwayne, he's going to heal my depression right now? Maybe, maybe not. It, that might be your Paul's thorn in the side. But he'll promise grace sufficient enough. Here's, here's what happened. Here's what happened in, in, to, to Elijah. He said, I'm all alone. Right? Did he say that? I'm the only one left. Isn't that what he said? All right. God, the Lord said to him, go back the way you came. In other words, get out of this cave. Go back the way you came and go to the des desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king of Aaron. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nim Nimshi, king of Israel. And anoint e Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel, Meholah, to succeed you as a prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Haziel, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the, the sword of Jehu. Now get this. I reserve 7,000 in Israel. You're not by yourself. That's a lie of the enemy. You're not by yourself. There's person after person who might be fighting the same battle you're fighting and the devil's convinced you that you're both by yourself. No, you're not. God's reserved somebody just for you. The greatest antidote for isolation is community. Y'all going to laugh at what I'm getting ready to say, but, but it's just true. Y'all going to laugh at this because they laugh at me on Wednesday night. When I come in, I talk about our, our afternoon buffet. Let me tell you what, what we find around that table on Wednesday afternoons. There is about 
17 egg rolls, <laughs> pot stickers, chicken on a stick. Come on, I love me some chicken on a stick. <laughs> man, I just, man, I, the hair on the back of my neck when I said chicken on a stick. Come on, it's good stuff. Sushi, that we, that's why we pray over it. Lord knows how, it all looks exactly the same every time, so I don't know, we're probably the only one to eat it. You know what else we find around that table? Community and fellowship. And to a man, if, if, if we miss it, guess what happens? You've, you've, something's missing. See, it's so easy to isolate ourselves, but you've got to find a place of community. Oh, by the way, that's what the church is for. For fellowship and community. And then the last one. Walk in obedience. Now, now listen. How many know that God doesn't always answer your prayer like you want Him to? Is that true? Because Elijah offered God a complaint. And what we want to do is we want to give God our complaint. I'm the only one left. And we want God to fix our complaint like we want him to fix our complaint. And he almost never does. Elijah offered God a complaint. God responded with an assignment. He said, go back the way you came. This is the only way I know how to live my life. Man, it's, can I have three minutes? 2020, uh, September of 2020 was the darkest time of my life. And th that's probably not an accurate statement because, you know, when my dad died and, and we lost the children and uh, those are very, very dark times. But I, I'm, I'm just talking about in, a, in an emotional way. I was exhausted. And y'all don't know this, but I almost quit that month. I almost quit. Because we had gone through COVID. I had gone into my bookshelf and, and said, let me find a book on how to lead a church in a pandemic. Oh, not one. I can write one now, but there wasn't one then. I had gone back to school full time and, and was rushing, trying to get ready. And oh, by the way, right in the week... COVID hit, my dad dies. And I am shuffling all this. And, and, and listen, I, I'm, I'm, not trying to, I'm not trying to say woe is Dwayne, but I, I, I was not in a good place. I was not in a good place. And I almost quit. I almost quit. But I, I, I just prayed. Lord, I need your help. So the month of October, I took almost that. I was still in the pulpit, but y'all didn't see me. You, you don't remember it. And that was intentional. But I disappeared. I took a week, and me and Donna went off by ourselves to her dad's cabin. And I got my coffee, and I went out, and I sat on that little porch out there, and I just started writing in my, in my journal. Second week, I had a good friend that said, man, come up to my church and I'm going to, uh, Dr. Mark Rutland's coming, listen, I'll listen to him, I'll take you to lunch, we'll have some time together. Had three or four of my friends just, just rally, because I'd sent a group of pastors, I, I've never said this from the pulpit, I'd sent a group of pastors that I call my covenant group, a text and said, I've been, I've been swinging this sledgehammer against this boulder and I don't know that I can pick it up again. And so they rallied around me and started buying me lunch, which was cool. <laughs> the third week, I got a chance to go on a retreat in, in Gatlinburg. And I'm going to tell you that I got nothing out of the retreat sessions. Nothing. They were talking about church growth, and they were talking about, and I, that's just not where I was at, y'all. Until the last day. 
See, I'd, I'd taken that retreat. Instead of just pouring into the sessions, I was taking my Bible down to a fire pit early in the morning before anybody else got up. And just, I just said, Lord, I got I to gotta hear from you. And on the last day, and I still have the piece of paper that I wrote it down on. I heard the Lord say these four words. Drive down your stake. And I said, okay. God, if you'll be with me, I'll do whatever I've got to do to make this thing work. So the next week I went off by myself. And that's where you, that's where that bottom banner illuminate came from. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So I'm going to tell you that depression is real, but there's a way out. Is it medicine? Maybe. But that's not the only way. And that's not enough. You've got to lean into the presence of the Lord. Can I pray for you? Nothing, uh, nothing dramatic this morning for this prayer time. But if you're here and you're struggling with depressive thoughts, if you're in a cave, a dark place, maybe you're not this morning, but you've been there and you know what that feels like. I want to pray for you this morning. Maybe you're here. You say, Dwayne, I'm, I'm not in a cave, but somebody I love very much is. Man. What if God used you to be a source of light? What if God used you to be a source of truth and healing? Because He can. So I want to pray for you this morning. I want to pray that God supernaturally by the power of his Holy Spirit restores your joy I want to pray that God supernaturally by the power of his Spirit breathes life into your soul so you can say he has made me glad Father, in Jesus' name. <laughs> Lord, I, I sense your presence in this. I know you're at work. So, Lord, as only you can, would you breathe life and joy in gladness to your people today. God, as only you can, would you be a shelter and a strong tower. God, as only you can, would you hide us in the shelter of your wings. God, I pray for every person in this room that struggles with anxiety and depression. God, I pray for every person in this room that has been or is now in a dark place. God, I pray you surround them with your presence and that you surround them with community and that you surround them with purpose and a mission. And that, God, you do what only you can do. God, you can heal the biology. You can heal it instantaneously. You can heal it with medicine. But, God, only you can heal a soul. Only you can heal our spirit. And I ask you, as humbly as I know how this morning, would you heal those in this room today who are struggling? and in a dark place. 
and those that are watching online. <laughs> Lord, I have, no, I have no doubt that somebody's watching online right now. And the reason they're watching online right now is because they're in a dark place this morning. And they couldn't find the strength to face a group of people and thought it best that they isolate themselves. But God, help them understand that you're with them in this moment. That you're leading them and guiding them and directing them and healing them. In Jesus' name. God, I sense your presence. You're doing a work. Thank you, Jesus. Donna, sing that chorus. And you have made me glad. Would you worship the Lord? And I'll say of the Lord. Declare this now. You are my strength. My shield and strength, oh God. My portion, my shelter, strong tower, my very presence. You are my shield, my strength, my Worship the Lord with an ovation of praise and joy and gladness. Amen, amen, amen. God, we worship you.